Amen. Thank you, Nicole. Thank all of you for joining us in worship tonight. Our, our church is just growing in worship, and I'm just so excited about that. And God has great things planned for us. We just need to keep looking to him and expecting great things from him and through him. First Kings chapter 17, we begin a series on Wednesday night that's going to last through the rest of this year, looking at the prophet, I, or the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Elijah, Elijah. And Elijah is one of the most significant figures in the Bible. He is one of the most mentioned Old Testament characters in the New Testament. And Elijah is just, again, a fascinating study. And I'm looking forward to spending the next several Wednesdays looking at the life and ministry of Elijah. Here's what we're going to learn about tonight. Elijah is receiving a call of God. We've been talking about that on Sunday morning. And his call is to lead the way back to God for the people of God. The people of God have forsaken God. And it is Elijah's ministry to restore proper worship in Israel because the people of God have become, become idol worshipers. And they are under leadership of a king, Ahab, and his wife Jezebel, who's actually leading the people in false worship to these false gods. In fact, before we get into chapter 17 of 1 Kings tonight, let's just for a brief moment remind ourselves of the historical context that Elijah is being called forth in. It is a time of great national and spiritual decline. Notice in verse 30 of chapter 16, Ahab, the king now, is doing more evil in the sight of the Lord than all who were before him. That's pretty bad. He worshiped and bowed to Baal, the end of verse 31. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal he had built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole, verse 33. He did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. It's a terrible time. Let's also be reminded of just a couple of the things that the worship of Baal were about and why the Lord was so angry that his own people were involved in this worship. Baal worship promoted child sacrifice. Baal worship promoted things like cannibalism. This is the kind of evil that the people of God, at least by name as a nation, were participating in. They had left the worship of Yahweh, Jehovah, and they had embraced the false god of Baal. It is in then to this <laughs> scenario 
that one prophet Elijah is called forth by God. And the first time we're introduced to Elijah in the Bible, he is stepping right into the palace of King Ahab, and he's pronouncing judgment upon the nation. Notice how the story of Elijah begins in 1 Kings then 17. Elijah, by the way, his name means Yahweh is my God. Yahweh is my God. The Tishbite. Why does God include where he's from? Because God wants to remind us that he can find faithful people anywhere. Being from Tishbe, little town, nobody, not on the map, as we would say today, off the grid, God knew where he was. God saw Elijah, and God called him from there. And he steps to Ahab, the king, think about it, and he says in verse 1, as certainly as the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, <laughs> I think sort of a dig, like, you're not serving him, but I'm serving him, there will be no dew or rain in the years ahead unless I give the command. Now, several things about the proclamation here of Elijah to the king. First of all, he reminds King Ahab that the God of Israel is alive. He is active. He is the Lord God of Israel, and he is very much alive. We need to be reminded of that sometimes because we may not be in tune or sensitive with the moving and working of God, and there may be times even in our own life or in the life of our church or in the life of the nation where it's like, where's God? Where's he at? God is very much alive, and he is very active, and in fact, he never stops working. And Elijah wanted to remind King Ahab of that. You're living as if he's dead, but he's not King Ahab. By saying, I serve, Elijah is also saying, I make myself available to this God every day. He's my God, and I want to serve him. Now, why does he then pronounce judgment in the way of saying, there will be no dew or rain in the years ahead unless I give the command, meaning that I get the word from God and I give it to you? Because it's all coming through God. Because Baal, according to these people who worship Baal, controlled the weather. So God is saying, you think your God controls the weather, huh? I'll show you what God really controls the weather. So Yahweh gives his prophet this message to the king. Your false God has nothing to do with the weather. Yahweh does. And we're going to shut off the rain. And obviously, shutting off the rain for an extended period of time is going to bring drought, as we're going to see later on in the story of Elijah. Then, verse 2, the Lord tells him, leave here, depart from here now, and travel eastward. Got to get out of here, because you're not the most popular person in Israel right now, and they're going to come after you. But there's something else very important now that's going to begin to happen. 
And it's something that's very applicable to our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, even here tonight. And that is that, remember, Elijah's ministry was to lead the people back to God. It was to lead the charge to restore proper worship in Israel. Well, how can that happen if one does not truly trust God? And not just say, I trust God, but live it out. I mean, live it out. And the deeper the impression God can make in our lives about anything, then the deeper impression you and I can make into the lives of others. Let me repeat that, because that's how God works. That's why God tries to, in a sense, cut deep in impressions and penetrate our lives deeply with his truth and, and with the reality of who he is. Why? Because the deeper the impression of God into our lives, the deeper impression you and I will be able to make on other people's lives. So Elijah has to get this more than anybody else. He can't just walk into the king's palace and say, there's not going to be any rain for a couple of years and then just disappear and not have anything going on in his life. No, no, no. Now, it may seem to him at first, it may seem to us like, well, God, you gave me an assignment and now you're telling me to go hide out for a couple years. It seems like I'm sort of going backwards and like I'm not making any progress. Like we're not, you know, you're not allowing me to teach every, every week and, and share your word as a prophet. I mean, isn't that what prophets are supposed to do? When you and I in our life see lack of progress, God sees preparation. Because here's the deal. God never stops preparing his people. Never. You and I, just like Elijah, even if we're called to be a leader or a prophet or whatever, we're always in God's training room. We're always being prepared by God. And you and I, every day of our life, one of the things we have to like wrap our heads around is that no matter where I've come from and where I've gotten to, God still has more for me always. And so I'm always being prepared by God in each and every season of life. Because what we're going to see in the next few moments as we examine this scripture tonight is that Elijah wasn't going backwards. Elijah was being prepared because God knew that in a couple years, Elijah was going to stand alone against 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, one against 850 on Mount Carmel, and a battle was coming. And God knew that I need a man or a woman who has been prepared for that moment because God knew it was coming. Now, think about that in our lives. What have we been through this year? And what we need to realize as Christians is God is preparing us for something. There's nothing purposeless that you and I go through as followers of Jesus Christ. 
And once we even get through this, guess what? God's going to be preparing us again for something because God knows what's coming even though we don't. And God then is always preparing us for what he knows is coming and we don't which is, again, why we've got to totally trust him because there's times in our life just like this, like, what is God doing? Why is he putting me through this? Why is he allowing me to go through these circumstances? Why do I have to do this? And God is always saying, because I got to prepare you, child. I got to make you stronger. <laughs> Going back to Sunday's message, I've got to increase your faith. I've got to get you to trust me even more because I need to deeply impress this upon you because it's not always just about you. It's about the fact that then I want to use you to make a deep impression upon others. So I need you to trust me completely so that people won't just hear that you're trusting me completely, but they're seeing you live it out through the circumstances of your own life. So that's why... God is directing Elijah the way he is. He's not just saying, Elijah, they're going to come and get you, so let's hide out for a while. No, no. God's going to use the experience of Elijah in this land, this wilderness that he's going to go to, that God's going to send him to, to prepare him and to deeply impress upon him that I can't have you lead my people back to me to totally trust me and worship me as I deserve to be worshiped if you don't totally trust me. So I've got to take you through these things. So notice, hide out in the Kirith Valley, verse 2, near the Jordan. Hide out. We learned several weeks ago that God is our hiding place. He is our shelter. I gave you all those verses. I'd like you to remind you of those verses again tonight. He was hiding out in a place that God had prepared for him. God protects his own. The Kirith Valley literally is a place that means to cut down. Before God can exalt or elevate us, we've got to be humbled. And before Elijah could be used on Mount Carmel in the way that he was, God had to also humble him and get him to a place where he would totally rely and depend upon him, God, not himself. He had to rid Elijah of all self-reliance and had to get him to a place where he would totally trust God in any circumstance that he found himself in. So notice verse 4. God directs him to drink from the stream that is there. And then notice what the Bible says. I have already told the ravens to bring you food there. I've already set this up, Elijah. I've appointed these birds, by the way, unclean birds to a Jew, to feed you while you're there. That's humbling to be fed by a bird each and every day. But the, Elijah had to say, okay, God, I'll trust you, because the birds weren't going to bring a monopoly of food. They, they weren't going to bring enough food for Elijah to have over a month. It was going to be every day Elijah was going to have to trust that these birds were going to come and drop enough food to sustain him. So notice here again, Elijah's learning. God will meet my need, but not necessarily my wants. God will make sure 
And he's got to be thinking, wait a minute, just like we think sometimes. Those wicked people that have forsaken you and are, are worshiping false gods, they're back there in their palace in Israel, and they're feasting sumptuously on, on the, in the, at the king's table. And I'm out here, I'm your servant, and I'm being fed by ravens? Yeah. Because God cares more about building our spiritual character than feeding our physical tummies, if you will. He wants us to get to a place where we can lead others to totally trust him. So, I commend Elijah. Notice verse 5. He followed the Lord. He did what the Lord told him to do. He went down to the Kirith Valley. He drank from the stream, and he would wait for the ravens to bring him bread. And it says in verse 6, the ravens would bring him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he would drink from the stream. And so every day, just like the manna supernaturally came down, God was going to take care of his prophet Elijah. I want to go back, though, to a phrase in verse 4, because we're going to see this phrase again come up in just a short amount of time. I have already told the ravens to bring you the food. Already. God is already there before we get there. God is already in tomorrow before we ever get there. And so whatever we need for tomorrow, God's already there. That's why Jesus said to his followers, don't worry about tomorrow. You just, you just trust me for today and what you need for today, because when tomorrow shows up, I'm already there. I am already there. I've already put in place what you're going to need for tomorrow. You just keep following me and learn to trust me, to completely rely and depend upon me, because true worship cannot happen unless you trust me and have confidence in me. And if you're going to lead my people back to me, that impression has to be cut very deep into you, because I need you to impress that deeply upon the rest of my people. Well, verse 7, because of the drought, obviously, and no rain, after a while the stream dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So the Lord told him, okay, don't panic. You know, sometimes we're in a place like Elijah. It's like we, we know God led us here, and we're being sustained or whatever for a while, but then it dries up, and we're like, well, wait a minute, God, why do you leave me there? Because God has something else. If that dries up, God will take care of us. He will have something else. He will give us direction to the next thing, but he wants us to trust him even when the stream dries up. So the Lord said, get up, verse 8, and go to Zarephath in Sidonian territory and live there. Zarephath? Zarephath? That's where Jezebel's from. That, that's like the center of Baaldom. And you're sending me to Zarephath? By the way, the name Zarephath literally means the crucible, the smelting place where ore and metals are heated and refined. So get the picture. Why is God sending his prophet to Zarephath? So he can be refined and purified and all the dross can be filtered out 
so all the impurities of his life can, can be lifted out so that he can stand before those false prophets and before the people of God and present a powerful impression of one who's totally learned to trust God completely. What may seem like God doesn't know what he's doing by putting us in the crucible some days is actually because he loves us. Because in the crucible, he's preparing us. He's refining us. He's purifying us. He's strengthening us. The metal that comes out of the smelting place is strong metal. And God needs his people to be strong. And then notice verse 9. I have already told, just like the ravens, a widow who lives there to provide for you. Wait a minute, God. Wait a minute. Okay. So you're using ravens for a while. And now, okay, Zarephath, that, that's crazy, but okay. But in Zarephath, you're not going to take me to some wealthy family to be sustained? You're going to take me to a widow who basically has nothing to sustain her and me? Yeah, because God knows exactly what he's doing. He wants the prophet Elijah to learn that he can be absolutely trusted and that the plans of God aren't crazy. God knows exactly what he's doing. So again... I give Elijah a lot of credit. He got up as crazy as the plan sounded, and he followed the Lord, and he went to Zarephath. And when he went through the city gate, guess what? There was a widow gathering wood, just as God promised there would be. And he calls out there. He says, please, give me a cup of water so that I can take a drink. As she went to get it, he called out to her, please bring me a piece of bread. And she said, as certainly as the Lord your God lives, I have no food except for a handful of flour and a jar and a little olive oil and a jug. Right now I'm gathering a couple of sticks for a fire and then I'm going home to make one final meal for my son and myself. And after we've eaten that, we'll die of starvation. She's a really positive person, isn't she? And yet this is the person that God has sent Elijah to. And it doesn't make sense in any way because she can't sustain herself and her son, much less anyone else. I want us to go back, though, and notice something. Notice that already, for whatever reason, this widow in Zarephath, who is not a believer in Yahweh yet, sees something in Elijah. Whether it's the way he's dressed or the way he carries himself or whatever, because she says in verse 12, your God lives. Now notice, she doesn't say my God, but she does say your God lives. He's alive and he's active. I know that. He is the fountain of life. But right now, 
I'm in a desperate situation. I'm a widow. I have no food. And you're coming to me and asking me to sustain you and nourish you? I've got nothing. What is God doing? He's preparing his prophet. He wants to cut a deep groove into Elijah so that Elijah gets the fact that no matter how bad it looks circumstantially, Yahweh can be trusted to protect us and to provide for us, even when it looks like there is no provision or protection. I'll make sure the ravens come by, Elijah, and feed you every day, showing that God not only controls the weather, he controls everyone in his creation. He's the Lord of hosts. And that was very humbling, I'm sure, for Elijah to have to wait for the birds to drop food every day in the morning and the evening, especially, again, ravens, unclean birds. God's ways are not our ways, are they? And then he brings him to this widow. And notice, Elijah says in verse 13, don't be afraid. Oh, we hear that over and over and over again. And I'm sure as he spoke those words to her, in his own mind, he's got to be dealing with fear. First of all, he's pronounced judgment upon the king of Israel. And that's why he's been hiding while the rain hasn't come. But secondly, he's at a place where it's like, well, you've got nothing, but I got to deal with that fear too. Because if you got nothing, widow, that means I've got nothing. But he says, don't be afraid. Go and do as you plan." But first, make a small cake for me and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. Why? Because she needs to learn to trust. And that if this truly is a prophet from the God that she's already acknowledged is alive, then she needs to follow what this prophet is directing her to do. And yet, it doesn't make any sense because she just said, why would I give you anything when we hardly have anything? Why would I share what little bit I've got left with you? Then that means we've got even less. We're going to die even sooner than I expected. But notice verse 14. But this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Maybe Elijah was... A little uneasy at first. But what was he receiving from the Lord as he followed him? He was receiving word and direction from God, and it was breathing spiritual life into Elijah. He was able to navigate a very difficult, demanding situation in his life where it looked like there is no way through this thing. And how was he able to do that? through learning every day to just look to the Lord and trust in him and listen for his word. 
And if Elijah could learn to do this at this level, then he would be prepared for what was coming, you see. That's why God takes us through the things that he does, because he wants us to get to a place where we're not looking around, trusting in temporal, physical, earthly things, where we're not trusting in other people, but where we're putting our confidence and trust completely in him because he can be trusted. He is a God who can command even the ravens to feed his people if need be. He is a God who can create this manna to drop out of heaven if need be to feed his people. God has an answer for our situation. No matter how desperate it is, God has an answer. And God has declared to Elijah to share with this widow that the jar of flour will not be empty, verse 14, and the jug of oil will not run out until the day the Lord makes it rain on the surface of the ground and turns things around. In other words, God's going to make sure that we've got enough every day. He's going to do a miracle every day in your pantry. And every day when you go into your pantry and you look for the things that we need just to get through that day, God will give us enough just for that day. Enough flour and enough oil. Again, notice, God's not going to give surplus because God wants his people to learn to trust him day by day. Give us this day our what? Daily bread. Oh, have we gone past that? No, if we can't see that we have enough for months stocked up, we start to get a little shaky, a little squirrely, because very honestly, we don't trust God to supply what we need each day. She went. Verse 15, and did and followed what Elijah told her. There was always enough food for Elijah and for her and for her family. Why? Because God is faithful. <laughs> we sung about that tonight. God is faithful. If God said he would make sure that the flour did not run out and the oil would not run out, then he'll show up somehow. Now, again, notice in this story, the way he met Elijah's need, came from sources that Elijah would have never dreamed. If God would have told him way back when he was a young man in Tishbe, oh, by the way, there's going to come a day where I'm going to feed you by birds. Elijah remember, no, 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 no. Or I'm going to send you into the very center of false worship in Zarephath where all this Baal stuff got started, and I'm going to send you to a widow who has nothing, not even two nickels to rub together, and I'm going to miraculously sustain you through her. Because God, again, wants to impress upon us, just like he did Elijah, I've got you, I can take care of you, and I can use the weirdest means, if you will, to do so. I can use resources from places that you don't even know exist or see coming because I'm the Lord who's alive and active. And there's nothing in this universe that I can't use and that I don't have at my disposal when I need it to take care of my children. 
So notice verse 16. The jar of flour again was never empty and the jug of oil never ran out just as the Lord had promised through Elijah, just as the Lord had spoken through his prophet Elijah. By the way, I love the word promised. It is a reminder that we need to cling and build our lives on the promises of God. In fact, this Hebrew word speaks about prioritization, meaning that the spoken word of God, his promises should be the priority of our life. They should be our breath. They should be our life that sustains us every day. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, Jesus said. Your word is my necessary food, Jesus said. Even Jeremiah that we saw Sunday said, as your word came to me, I ate it, I fed upon it, I consumed it. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The spoken word of God is precious, and it can sustain us even in the darkest hours because we can trust the word of God. After this, verse 17, the son of the woman who owned the house got sick. His illness was so severe he could no longer breathe. Basically, he was dying. And again, you're thinking to yourself, just as I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? Okay, you take him to a, a brook. He can drink there. That's good. He gets fed by birds. Oh, okay, that's a stretch. Then you take him to Zarephath, the very center of Baal worship, where it all got started, and you take him to a widow's house, and you do miracles every day to sustain he and the widow and her son. And now her son's going to die? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because what's God doing? Preparation. What may seem like a lack of progress to us, God sees as preparation. Because again, just as we sung about and worshiped about tonight, God always sees the greater glory that's going to come. Just like he did when he stood in front of Lazarus' tomb and said to those around him, Lazarus died so that you could see the greater glory. What was the greater glory? That Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And guess what? Elijah was going to do the same thing to this young man. That's, again, why I said a couple weeks ago, you and I can't look at even our life at any point and give a snapshot and try to reach some kind of conclusion or, or give some kind of uh, definitive perspective on a snapshot in our life because you take a snapshot of this right now and you go, that doesn't make any sense at all. Why would God allow her son to die? Why would God allow that situation to even come about? Because God has greater glory in mind. God's going to show who he is in an even greater way and bring greater glory to himself and greater good to those who will trust him because we know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Do we really believe what we say we believe? Obviously, this woman was upset. Notice verse 18, very human reaction. She asked Elijah, why, prophet, have you come to confront me with my sin and kill my son? Oh, there's a lot there. We're not going to take time to unpack it tonight. But basically, this woman has a guilty conscience about something that she's done in the past. 
something that she feels God now is punishing her for by taking her son. That's the way many people are. When something bad happens in their life, God's getting me for something. God's punishing me. That's why God included this, because it's so common. Even amongst sometimes the people of God, when we go through difficult circumstances or terrible, horrific situations, why is God allowing this? Why is he punishing me? And all I can tell you is I don't know it all, but I do know these truths. What we may see in our life as lack of progress, God sees as preparation. And God is always doing things to show the greater glory. In a couple weeks, we're going to begin a series in the Gospel of John, and Jesus had met Nathaniel and saw Nathaniel under the tree before Nathaniel even knew that he'd seen him. And Jesus, as he's leaving Nathaniel and, and going to go away for a little while, he says to Nathaniel, you'll see greater things than these. It's what God wants us to expect in our life, that you'll see even greater things than you've seen up to this point if you just trust me and just believe in me. And that's where he needed to get Elijah to, and that's where he wanted to reach out and get this widow to. Because notice something. What was going on with Elijah and why God had Elijah where he did is because God knew this widow was fertile soil to believe in him because she already acknowledged that I believe your God exists. I believe that he is real. I just haven't gotten to a place where I have placed my personal faith and trust and confidence in him yet. So God's going to bring Elijah down to her house, and through that and that experience of her son's death, he's going to bring this widow to faith in him which again reminds us that what you and I go through, just like what he had Elijah go through, isn't always about us. It's also about others around us who see us and see our faith in the midst of the things that we're going through. And Elijah was now becoming a strong person of faith whose impression of, of being able to rely and depend upon God was cutting deep, and therefore he could trust God to resurrect this young man. And because he had such great faith, that faith now was being called by this widow who would come to faith in Yahweh and who we will see one day in heaven. He said to her, verse 19, hand me your son. Ooh, place your son in my hands. That took faith. That took faith. He's dead. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him down on his bed. He calls out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, are you also bringing disaster on this widow I am staying with by killing her son? <laughs> he didn't know. He said, literally, in the Hebrew, are you breaking her to pieces? Because I know this is you. You control life and death. What's up, God? He stretched out over the boy three times. And called out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, please let this boy's breath return to him. Resurrect him from the dead. By the way, I'm going to wrap this up in just a moment, but you know something else significant that Elijah did? Whenever she got so angry at Elijah and said, have you come to confront me about my sin and kill my son? He doesn't try to defend God or even argue with her about that. He just says, give me your son, and he takes him. That's a good lesson for us. 
Sometimes we try to either argue with people or defend God, and sometimes we just need to love on them and just need to let the power of God and the presence of God flow through us to them. And that's what Elijah did. It wasn't what he said, it's what he did that was going to make the impact on this widow and on her son. And notice, the Lord answered Elijah's prayer, verse 20. Because guess what? The Lord answers prayer. And it's an encouragement to us to pray even for miracles. And we've seen miracles in our own church, and we've seen miracles in our own lives. And he is a God who is alive and who is active and who's calling upon his people to trust me and worship me because I can be trusted completely with everything and anything you want to give me. I'm that kind of God. And the boy's breath returned to him, and he lived. Now, what the crazy thing is here, too. How does Elijah even know that God would resurrect somebody from the dead? There hasn't been resurrection. That's how much preparation and how much strengthening of Elijah's faith was taking place through all those days he was at the brook. All those days he watched every day the ravens feed him morning and evening. That's, that's how his faith was strengthened when God took him to this widow and where Elijah heard that God said to him and through him to her that that oil's not ever going to run out. And, that, and every day they would go to that pantry and guess what? There was enough oil and there was enough flour every day. And so Elijah was getting to the point where he's like, you know what? If I can trust God every day for all the things that I've seen him do, I can trust him to raise somebody from the dead if that's what God wants to do. God wants to do that same thing in our life. He wants to strengthen our faith every day so that when we get to places like crazy places and crazy times and crazy seasons in our life, that we can trust him for the impossible because he's the God of the impossible and he's the God that nothing is too hard or too difficult for. And Elijah took the boy, verse 23, brought him down from the upper room to the house, handed him to his mother. And Elijah then said, see, your son is alive. And the word see means more than just physically see with your eyes. He's saying, consider and reflect on what's just happened here and learn something from this. There's something going on here, right? More than just your son just was risen from the dead by a prophet of God. Verse 24, the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a prophet and that the Lord really does speak through you. The word know means to become more acquainted with or more aware of. And that's what God was doing. You see, God, we, we pride ourselves on being multitaskers. God is the ultimate multitasker. 
God can accomplish multiple things at the same time. The same time he's strengthening his prophet Elijah to one day stand on Mount Carmel and, and restore proper worship in Israel, he's also reaching this poor widow in Zarephath and her son and bringing them to faith in him as well. God is working in all kinds of different layers and ways, and that's where you and I won't see it all at the time, but we've got to trust that God is always working and can be trusted in each and every situation that you and I go through. I want to leave you with these verses tonight. You can leave 1 Kings 17. I want you to go over to the book of Psalms with me, to Psalm 37. There's especially three verses that I want you to mark in your Bible that really go along with this passage of Scripture tonight. Psalm 37, verses 18, 19, and 25. The Lord watches over the innocent, how often? Day by day, just as he did Elijah. And they possess a permanent inheritance from the Lord. Notice, they will not be ashamed when hard times come. Was Elijah going through hard times? Yeah. There wasn't any rain. There was a drought in the land. Everybody was going through hard times. But he wasn't anxious. He wasn't fearful. He was learning to trust God through the hard times because notice it says when famine even comes, they'll have enough to eat because our God can even feed us with birds and provide supernatural food to fly down from heaven if he so chooses. Why do we not trust him? Why do we not think God doesn't have our back? when all through the history of the world and through Scripture, God has always proven himself trustworthy, reliable, and dependable. Verse 25, the psalmist says, I was once young, now I am old. I have never seen a godly man abandoned or godly woman abandoned. Because guess what? One of the promises of God is, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Or his children forced to search for food. God takes care of his own. God protects and provides for his people. And Elijah could not one day go back into the midst of all of this false worship and all of this idolatry and not deeply be able to impress upon the people of God to trust God completely and to worship him if he in any way had any doubt or was hesitant at all or wavering in his own faith. He had to be rock solid in standing before the people of God and saying, I know my God can take care of you because God's taking care of me. My life is a living testimony of that. And you know what? There's not a one of us here tonight who doesn't know the Lord that couldn't stand up and give that same testimony that you look back over our life and we could say, I can give you testimony after testimony how God was faithful in our lives and how he took care of us and how he protected us and provided for us because that's who our God is. That's why we worship him. He is the Lord God who lives. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, God, that 
Even in those times of our life where we see no progress, you see preparation. We are making progress. We're being prepared by you for what's coming. And you love us enough to take us through whatever we need to go through in order to make us strong enough and to trust in you enough to be able to get through what's coming, God. And to be able to be so impressed to trust you that we can make that deep impression upon others because it's not just a faith that we talk. It's a faith that we walk. We demonstrate our faith in you, God, by the way that we live and the choices that we make. We look to you, not to anyone else or anything else, to sustain us and provide for us and protect us in the world in which we live. So, God, I pray tonight that as we start this series on Elijah, that this will just be the starting point. And that, God, through this series and through what you're doing in our church, you will build again an a army of strong Christians, God, who will trust you no matter what is happening on this earth, knowing, God, that you can be trusted. You are the Lord God who lives. And we worship you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.